Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. This is a show for you to help you understand your money. We look at the stock market and why it goes up and down. We look at financial legislation that can impact your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we take a deep dive into a financial planning topic to help you understand some of the nuances a little bit better. And then finally, in the best part of the show, is the Ask Peggy segment. And this is your opportunity to ask me a question. So if you have a money question, go to askpeggy.com, that's A-S-K-P-E-G-G-Y.com, and you can submit your question there. Then I'll reach out to you, probably get some more details, and then we'll craft an answer for the air that can be educational for everyone. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update, and this is for the week ending September 20th, 2019. And generally, the markets were a little down this week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down a little over a percent. The S&P 500 was down about half a percent. This is actually why I like the S&P 500 a little more than the Dow. It tends to be a little smoother because rather than having the 30 stocks that make up the Dow, there's 500 stocks in the S&P 500. So if something goes a little funny with one of them, it doesn't tend to impact the index quite as much. The NASDAQ split the difference and it was down about three quarters of a percent. Gold went up 1.92%, and the big winner of the week was crude oil, up 6.51%. This is due almost entirely to the drone attack in Saudi Arabia and the fact that production was shut down for a while, and everybody got all afraid. At any time, people get afraid about what's going on in Saudi Arabia. The price of oil always goes up even though there can be a global effort to kind of tamp back any issues with that, you can still count on oil going up if Saudi Arabia is having a problem. So oil was up 6.5% last week. The 10-year Treasury yield dropped to 1.73%, and it is down 17.5% for the week. Why did that happen? Because last week the Federal Reserve decided to cut interest rates again by another quarter percent. If you listen to the show, if you read my blog, you will know that I don't actually think this was a very good idea. I feel like we should save our rate cuts for real financial issues. You know, especially we have rates at one and three quarters percent. There's not a lot of room to cut something like that. But it was a quarter point cut. Again, the Fed kind of created tea leaves you could read any way you want. 
They suggested that they were done, but said they would be open to stimulus if something was going wrong. Trade developments and the tariffs are the biggest unknown factor on the horizon. Companies are very worried about the tariffs impacting their bottom lines, and although Jerome Powell didn't go as far as blaming it on the tariffs, he did say that trade developments had been up and down. So I really think it's the tariffs is why he went ahead and took this other quarter point move. Additionally, President Trump really wanted this this rate cut, and he was angry afterwards that um, the Fed only cut it by a quarter percent. He said, Jay Powell and the Federal Reserve fail again. No guts, no sense, no vision, a terrible communicator. The president wants bigger rate cuts, possibly even going to negative interest. Now, negative interest is where you have to pay the person to hold your money. I'll be honest, and I'm trying to be kind as I say this. I have no idea why he thinks that would be a good idea. Negative interest rates occur when economies are in serious trouble. Our economy is not in serious trouble. Maybe there's a recession next year. I do think that the trade situation will, at the end of the day, be the deciding factor there. But we're certainly not in economic distress. We don't need people to pay us for them to lend us money. So it would be as though you put money in a bank, and rather than earning a rate of interest, you would have to pay the bank for the privilege of having the money there. And the only reason you would do that is if there was nowhere else your money seemed safe. So I have read nothing that indicates that this is ever a good situation for an economy. I feel fairly confident, although I must say my confidence wanes from time to time. I feel fairly confident that cooler heads will prevail and will never go to negative rates. For one thing, they're not going to meet terribly often, and I really don't think they're going to do something insane like cut it by one and three quarters percent. So I think we'll be fine. I think we'll stay in a positive interest rate environment. That means if you are a holder of debt, so you own a bond or you have a bank account, you'll get a rate of interest. Not nearly as good as you were getting last year, but you'll still get interest. And we'll just have to wait and see how everything plays out and where we go. But certainly, it's interesting times. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the legislative update of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, I have two stories for you. One is good news. One is bad news, but interestingly, the bad news story might be good news at the end of the day. So let's start with the really good news. There is a complaint database that is part of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, and in that complaint database, there is a way for consumers 
to issue complaints about companies that they believe have had unfair financial practices. And I know you, you issue a complaint, nothing happens, right? Well, in this case where you submit the complaint to the CFPB, nearly 97% of consumers have responses from companies. So really, when you issue the complaint there where you're accusing a firm of unfair financial practices, generally things get done. So, of course, the Trump administration wants to close that down. And the former head of the CFPB, Mick Mulvaney, did not like this database at all. He said it wasn't up to them to provide a way for consumers to do the equivalent of like a, a Yahoo review. And so he wanted to shutter it, and it's had some issues to whether or not it was going to exist. But the good news is it's still alive, and it still is going to give consumers a place where they can issue complaints if they believe a company has done something that's truly unfair. Now, this isn't a place that you can go and just complain about something where you don't like the final terms. It has to be a case where you actually believe that what was going on was an unfair financial practice. So if you're having a problem, you can go to the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, CFPB website, and issue a complaint. And they've decided that they are actually going to keep this over. The new head says, no, she doesn't think it's a good idea to go ahead and shutter it. They did make a couple of changes. One is there's disclaimers now that are on the website. And then they're also looking at adding the market share and the company size to the complaints because these complaints are public. Okay, the, the critical part of this that I didn't tell you before is these complaints are public. So, you know, obviously people don't want their name out there with negative news against it. And so that's why there's a 97% response rate. So they're going to add the disclaimers. They're going to add a little bit more information about the companies, but the database still exists. So this is your opportunity, if something seems not right, to get your voice heard. And because it's public, it's much more likely that you'll get a resolution to the issue. I hope it works for you if you're having a problem. So that is absolutely nothing but good news. Now, here's <laughs> the weird news. There has been a brief filed by um, the Solicitor General saying that the CFPB, again, we're still talking about the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's structure is unconstitutional. And I don't want to get terribly into the weeds. I mean, you can find articles on this and read more information on it. Or if you want more information, you can always go to askpeggy.com and send me a message and tell me you'd like information about it. But basically, the gist is the president wants the ability to fire the head of the CFPB at will. Currently, that person can be fired, but it has to be for cause. And the argument that it's unconstitutional to have this is based around how the CFPB operates and how it's funded. 
um, some of it's probably solid ground that maybe there's legal precedent. Some of it's very squirrely, and it's not likely that there's any there there. But nevertheless, that's what they're wanting to do. They want to be able to fire the CFPB at will. So it'll be interesting to see how this goes. Why is that bad news? Well, I mean, it's bad news because a president can go in and fire someone doing something that they don't like. You know, it would be very difficult for the president to fire Jerome Powell. However much he might like to do it, he probably couldn't actually do it. And he would also like to be able to fire the CFPB. Like now that the database is over, you know, maybe he gets really upset about that and wants to fire the head of the CFPB for not doing what he wanted done. Okay, we don't really know how it's going to turn out. It's probably going to go to the Supreme Court, and it's possible that he'll have the right to do it. However, this is good news because right now it's a five-year term, and it's very difficult to remove the person from that term, and it carries between White House administrations. So because the people who have been in charge of the CFPB have not really been in touch with the heart and soul of why it was created in the first place, you know, all of Elizabeth Warren's attempts to keep consumers safe, they've done everything they can do to gut it. They've stripped it of staff. They're doing everything they can to make it go away. So if the president has the right to fire at will and that passes, it would let the next administration remove the current head of the CFPB immediately. Now, Kathy Craninger is much better than Mick Mulvaney, but she's still not really on board with protecting consumers. So it would allow a change in that agency, depending on the outcome of the 2020 election, to bring it back in line with its original goal. Now, it will turn it more into like a political appointment. And so back and forth, depending upon who's in charge and what they want to have happen, it'll be a bit of a ping pong ball. So there'll be less continuity in the agency, but a lot of agencies have that. I really like the idea of not having to keep someone, especially given the mercurial nature of the administration and the fact that it's likely it'll be someone else next year, someone who is more hardcore trying to gut it from its original principles. So I like the idea that perhaps that person could be eliminated if there was an administration that was more amenable to helping take care of people, take care of the money, you know that's where my heart is. So anything that helps us get there is a good thing. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Plan Your Prosperity segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and today we're going to look at some of the specifics around homeowners' policies and what they cover and what they don't cover and things you might want to think about as you're trying to make a decision. Remember that if you have a mortgage, you have to have homeowners' insurance. 
And if you don't have a mortgage, you really should still have homeowner's insurance. It's interesting. People will squabble with me when they come in about things they think they want and they don't want and they need and they don't need. They never argue about their homeowner's insurance because your home, if you own it, even with a mortgage, is probably the biggest asset you're ever going to have. So it's very important that you keep it safe. With that in mind, it's important also that you choose an insurance company that's reputable. It's pretty easy these days to do research. There's lots of consumer websites out there that exist. There's lots of social media out there. Remember, we were talking about the database in the last segment, and the reason it works is it's public. And so you can find information. You always want to make sure that the insurance company is big and it's stable and it has the ability to pay the claim. But then you may also want to look at how is its customer service? How do you interact with the people there? You may be fine doing things that are mostly virtual, or you may really want a human being you sit across the desk from in a brick-and-mortar store. That's going to impact the kinds of decisions that you make. So choose a reputable company. Also, make sure that you choose the correct kind of policy. You may not have even known that was an option. And for most of us, the coverage that our insurance agent is recommending, they're steering us in the right direction. Okay, but there are a few unusual kinds of insurance that I want to mention. First, if you're an OU student and you're listening to this right now, I want you to know that you can get renter's insurance. Renter's insurance is nearly always very inexpensive, and it covers your content. And it'll cover your content wherever it is. So if you leave something in your car, then you can get coverage for it if it gets stolen. So look into it. I mean, it depends on what you have, obviously. All of this is just general information. Your circumstances decide what will work. But it might make sense if you've got some pretty nice stuff to at least see what the coverage would cost. Additionally, there are other kinds of insurances that you can use if you have an older dwelling, if you've got something that needs a certain level of insurance, but, but it's an older structure, those policies are there. You want to be careful that you buy the right kind of coverage. Now, this is even more important. You want to make sure you have enough coverage. Sometimes, by law, you're not required to carry 100% coverage. Sometimes they'll let you drop to 80%, and that sounds really great. But in the case of a catastrophic event, the payout becomes truly problematic. I'm not giving advice. This is educational. But in my own circumstances, I always make sure that the amount of coverage that I have is equal to or even exceeds some what it would cost me to start over from scratch. And so if you've decided to cut corners there, talk to the agent, talk specifically about repercussions of catastrophic events. Because I've determined that a lot of people just don't know that that's a thing. So if you've researched it and you like it, you're good to go. Just make sure 
that you've got everything covered at the level you think you do. Now, even though different kinds of policies have different kinds of coverage, there are a couple kinds of events that are typically not covered in your traditional homeowner's policy. Those two events are flood and earth movement. Now, flooding here refers to water that has occurred through nature. So it could be a lot of rain. It could be a creek rises and it floods in, or the water table goes up and it comes in your vent system if you have heating and air through your floor. If you live close to a coast, it could be the result of a hurricane or severe weather coming off, causing the sea level to rise and coming into your home. Flood insurance does not cover a pebble getting against a pipe and rubbing a hole in it and springing a leak. It doesn't cover leaving the sink on and flooding. That's traditional homeowner's coverage for the most part. This is naturally occurring flood. The only way you can acquire flood insurance is through FEMA. And FEMA flood will be a separate policy that you would purchase. You would own it in addition to your traditional homeowner's policy. Now, it really is up to you to decide whether or not you need FEMA flood. Certain areas, it's a pretty easy decision. Other areas are a little bit iffier, but and in some places, probably not terribly likely. But you need to really look at it, and especially with all of the major storms we've been having recently, try to decide if you think that you're in a location that might flood, and if you are, then the FEMA flood insurance might make a lot of sense. Of course, the more prone you are to that event, the higher the policy is going to cost. That just makes sense as well. So the second kind of coverage that your traditional policy does not usually handle is earth movement. Earth movement is generally thought of as earthquakes. So if you're in an earthquake-prone area and you have damage, it's really possible that your homeowner's insurance won't cover it. If you're in an area like we are in Oklahoma, where suddenly we had a lot of earthquakes occurring, especially for a period of time, possibly the result of some activity going on in the state, then you may have never thought about buying earthquake insurance. And you need to really look and consider, you know, whether or not you think this is a policy that makes sense for you. It got so bad in Oklahoma that for a while it was a rider you could put onto your homeowner's insurance. Riders cover extra things. We'll talk about riders more in just a minute. Well, then the coverage got so bad they actually started writing standalone policies in Oklahoma for earthquakes. So if you're in an earthquake-prone area, if you're in an area that's suddenly developing earthquakes, or if you're subject to mudslides or anything where the earth could move, like um, some sort of an avalanche condition, then earth movement needs to be something to consider when you're buying your homeowner's policy. It needs to be put in there as something extra because your regular policy probably doesn't cover it. So just a minute ago, I talked about riders. A rider is something you add to a traditional policy to cover an extra expense that is unique to you. 
So maybe you keep cash in your house. The traditional coverage is actually for a fairly limited amount of money. And I don't want to get real specific on the radio, but I want you to make sure that if you keep cash in your house, your policy covers it. Maybe you have really nice jewelry. There's a relatively low jewelry limit in most policies as well. So you may need to purchase a rider to cover that. Or if you have an expensive musical instrument or really anything when you're looking at what you own that is slightly outside the norm and slightly expensive, it might make a lot of sense to talk to your agent and make sure that you've got the coverage for it. It's pretty easy to do. You just have to do it. Some people lower the cost of their homeowner's insurance by creating a higher deductible. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it, in your emergency fund, you have enough money to cover that if something goes wrong. If you're going to choose the higher deductible in your homeowner's policy, you probably need to take other appropriate steps in your emergency fund. And then finally, if you have damage, you need to take steps to secure it. So if the wind blows a branch through your window, try to get that covered as soon as you can. Because if you don't, and it rains again in a day or two, that secondary damage won't be covered because you didn't do what you could to secure the situation in the first place. So as much as you possibly can, if something goes wrong, Try to protect everything else so that your policy covers what you expect it to cover, the coverage is what you expect it to be, and there aren't any bad surprises. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And I was at the Oklahoma Book Festival over the weekend on a panel, and someone in the audience asked about Bitcoin. And did we think it was a good idea to buy Bitcoin? Um, one person on the panel gave a very definitive answer. One person said she didn't know enough to answer. I'm not going to tell you whether you should own Bitcoin or not, but what I am going to do is point out the inherent flaw to Bitcoin. So everyone wants to buy Bitcoin because it makes money, right? It's really volatile. And when Bitcoin's on a run, it's worth a lot more than it was just a day or two before. Now, imagine that this becomes a widespread currency. And if it's a widespread currency, it should be able to be used to buy expensive things, right? Like a car or a house. So now, just for a minute, imagine that you are buying or selling a house with a currency that might fluctuate in value by 25% over the course of your deal. How do you make a decision? I mean, if it goes the right way, yeah, you got a killing. But if you're on the wrong side of the deal, you could be down 30% over the money that you thought you were going to make. The more money you put onto a currency that fluctuates like that, the crazier everything comes. So it's used right now for a lot of illegal activities. You know, it's used to pay for things that you can't pay for in the traditional currency system because things are tracked. Remember that Bitcoin is totally anonymous. That's what the thrill in all of this is. So if you're 
involved in something illicit, that 30% haircut is just the price of doing business. It's what you have to do to keep the trade out of the public eye. But people are wanting this to become a real currency used by, like, everyone. And as long as it's this volatile, I don't think there'll be any widespread acceptance. You know, people might do a little online purchasing of something inexpensive and not think a lot about it. You know, maybe you, you get a bit of a trim, but it's not a lot of money, you're fine. But to really become something, it's got to be able to be used for big transactions. The minute it's not volatile, all the fun goes out of the situation. And now you're back to a currency, oh, like, let me think, oh, I know the American dollar, that even though it is a floating rate, is incredibly stable in value. That's why it's the world's reserve currency. And until Bitcoin gets boring, it isn't going to work. And the minute it gets boring, I think nobody's going to want it. So that's my opinion. Have a great week, and I will see you next time. Bye. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.